This episode of A Hoop's Journey is dedicated to the memory of Amajit Pear. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to A Hoop's Journey. Um, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, a gentleman that we've been trying to, well, you know, with life and things that have been happening around us, get on the show for a while. It's a bit blurry, somewhere between 40 to 42, three years involved in the game as an official. A guy that when we were texting back and forth, we said, oh, we'll just have a quick chat. But if you know anything about this guy and myself, there's no way that it's going to be a quick chat. Um, I'm looking forward to having an open evening here with my son asleep and we can chat more about uh, a campaign that this gentleman is pushing, but also just his life in basketball. Hoop Journey is thrilled to have Mr. Karn Dillon with us today. How are you, my friend? First class, man. Really good to be here. Good. And for those that aren't going to be able to see it, which is everyone, Karn is sitting in his uh, official stripes this evening, uh, his referee jersey. But not only that, this one's got a special ring to it. And this is sort of the purpose of the episode. We've been wanting to get Karn on for a while um, to talk from a referees and officials perspective. But the timing for this one is, is even more important and special. It's funny how things work because we were super close to getting together on this and then it kind of faded off. And now with a campaign that he's been working really hard on for many years, we thought the timing was really good to sit down tonight. So before we get into chatting with you, why don't you give us a little bit of background as to why you're wearing that jersey and what it means to you and uh, the basketball community? So everyone who is listening... Uh, needs to know that it's not just the regular stripes that I'm wearing tonight uh, with Aaron. It's it's a uh, pink and black stripes. Uh, we were very fortunate uh, earlier this week. Howard Samura actually took uh, some photographs of us at Varsity Letters and uh, released an article this morning, I believe. The the pink and uh, black stripes have not actually officially been released. Um, because we are dedicated to the black and white stripes, like all officials usually do. But uh, with the fact that uh, the Pink Whistle campaign, which started 13 years ago, uh, the Pink Whistle campaign coinciding with uh, the new ingenuity of, hey, why might we not wear pink stripes from time to time uh, in February during the campaign? The Pink Whistle campaign started 13 years ago when uh, my sister, Amanjit, in Tawasson was uh, suffering from cancer. She had actually had uh, ovarian cancer. Uh, they call that the silent killer in some places. She progressed from ovarian cancer and eventually into brain cancer. And I, I thought to myself, I can't, you know, I was thinking there's, what can we do? What can we do? And, and we were, I was wallowing. That's the word that I want to use. I was wallowing in a time when my sister was suffering. And I thought to myself, I got to do something, got to think of something. And um, having been in marketing in radio for so many years, I, I thought I got to get creative. And, and I thought, oh my goodness, maybe I should ask my supervisors if we could wear pink whistles during a couple of weeks in February. And I took it to our um, uh, BCBOA uh, executive, and they said, why well, do you want to wear pink whistles? And I said, because we should probably try to uh, do something about cancer. And maybe raise some money and raise awareness that, that it's out there. And uh, supervisor said, yeah, go ahead. And so went to uh, our supplier at Fox 40 in Hamilton, uh, who makes the actual uh, official whistles that we wear. And I said, I'd like to buy 100 
pink whistles. And um, so they sent them and we started to divvy them out. And um, people were paying $20, $30 or, or anything cashed for these exclusive pink whistles because we'd never wore, wore them before. And as we, um, as we progressed, the 100 whistles ran out and then I ended up buying 200 more and then 400 more. And um, eventually, you know, fast forward, uh, we have now in 13 years supplied over 1,800 pink whistles through the province of BC and in some places throughout North America. But there's 1,800 pink whistles thanks to our program. Once we started to launch the program, my sister actually said to me, she said, what are you doing this pink whistle thing for? I said, because I can't sit around and let people like you suffer from cancer when some of us who have an opportunity to do something about it should try to do something about it. And rallying the referees is one thing, Aaron, but to get support from coaches, fans, and players, and, and supporters uh, by way of corporate people, people who notice that, hey, like, what's that pink whistle for? And whether we're wearing it on the basketball court or in some cases, I've said to people, you're not a basketball referee, but if you want a pink whistle and you want to pay a, a cash donation for it, it'd be a great thing to do is to put it on your keychain for two reasons. One is if you're too far away from your car and you're having problems uh, with someone, blow the crap out of this thing and move these people away. The other thing being, it would be an advertisement for us when people leave their keys on the, on the counter or on their table at uh, lunch. And we would want people to, um, to ask the question, hey, what's that pink whistle for? And in many cases, I've been asked the question, what's that, your rape whistle? As a matter of fact, uh, it, it could be. Uh, and in some cases, uh, let me tell you the story about these pink whistles. And people inevitably uh, get it. And um, I'd like to uh, think and hope that the pink whistle campaign on and off the court has been uh, something that has, um, it's decluttered people. It, it's, it's, it's disengaged people to, to thinking more about what we're all doing. And when I say all of us, I talk about all the people that I've mentioned, the coaches, the players, the supporters uh, that have all jumped on this pretty neat, pretty cool bandwagon. And all of us on our committee, you know, we talk about how are we going to uh, send our messaging this year? How are we going to um, get people to talk about it? And it's people like you, it's people like Howard, uh, other media people that uh, I've been very lucky and fortunate to connect with. Steve Ewan at The Sun in the Province, our dear friends here at the Delta Optimist here in Ladner. They've been tremendous in carrying our story. Yeah. And it's a great story. You've touched on a few things that I want to talk about. Please. Uh, one, were you surprised when you started the campaign? Um, and it's something that I've made an effort to, you know, cancer is near and dear to me, right? I lost my mom as well and attended Terry Fox High School. I mean, you know, in terms of cancer patients in history, <laughs> you know, so it's something that's very near and dear to me as well. Were you surprised? You know, I think when people think about maybe the, the, the player official relationship or the coach official relationship, there's like this great divide, but it's amazing what can really happen when people get behind something. Were you surprised with how it sort of just took off or was it like, nah, this is just sort of what we do? No, I, I'd be a liar if I suggested to anyone 
that I was, uh, first of all, I'm absolutely elated and pleased that it, um, that has disengaged the coach referee relationship. It's a, Mm -hmm. it's a barrier breaker, uh, Aaron. It's a, it's a game changer that, uh, humanizes, uh, both the referees and humanizes coaches from a, and it could, when the game gets heated, uh, that a coach would, you know, go back to their regular character, but, mm-hmm. uh, to, to disengage someone and, and to say, Hey, wait a minute, these guys are doing good work. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the, the love on and off the court when it comes to this program, but the tenacity that remains when coach official have to talk about a block charge call that somebody didn't like. No, well said. And I think, you know, as you speak, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm thinking about Felix who we we lost and I'm thinking of Ted Kuzik who we've lost recently and just sort of how those historical sort of figures bring people together. And I think it says a lot about the legacy that your sister will leave as well. And just sort of like, the basketball community, especially in BC, because it's all I can speak to, the way that a bunch of us have all tried to support each other in our in our times through different things, I think has been very powerful. And I think one thing that maybe COVID has taught us is the time away. Maybe that, maybe spending the three minutes in a game to bark at an official just doesn't really freaking matter anymore because our kids get to play, our officials get to officiate, and I, and I get to coach. You know what I mean? Or just those yeah. those moments that maybe we we overlooked and took for granted when those people sort of, you know, those things happen. And then you see the power of your campaign talk about, I mean, each year you're, you're blowing it out of the water. It's like, I mean, and I'm sure you, you have a, you have a goal and you have it set, but like, I see the momentum it's carried and it's pretty phenomenal. And it, and it's uh, it's a pretty special thing. The dollars uh, that are coming in. And if I could uh, just, remind people that in 2010 i think it was or 2009 when we first started the campaign i think we raised two thousand dollars and and then we have a picture mm-hmm. of the the referees myself tim hyde shelly ganchar from kamloops uh we're at the triple uh, a girls final at the time and uh, at capilano and we have a the giant check and it's a two thousand dollar check that we've mm-hmm. raised and we started this campaign and there was a period that we kind of got up to about eight, nine thousand dollars of donations, and then one year, I think it was 2015, where we had no donations. And then ever since then, when we picked up, there's like 15, 20. And, and every single year, as of 2015, 2016, you have no idea the momentum and, and how this thing has been building. And again, it's, it's whistle by whistle, email by email, it's a little bit of social media. Mm-hmm. But it's also uh, reaching out to the right people. And I, I could name, you You talked about Ted Cusick. I have so much time and uh, care for that gentleman. He he was one of my first people that I looked up to when I saw in 1975 as a, as a grade 10 student. I was playing at Point Grey Secondary School when I was playing at Churchill. And we played a visiting game there. And we got to watch the Howard Kelsey uh, warm-up. And uh, mm. they're playing 25 or six to four by Chicago. And there's Ted <laughs> Cusick coaching that team. And, and you talk about memories and, and things that are locked in. Mm. Uh, and then Ted moved to uh, Killarney. And I, and I talk 
with a I, I talk about a lot of riveting things when I talk about people like Ted because Ted Cusick was involved in my first game at the Agrodome in 1986, I think it was, and uh, or might have been 1984, and uh, they were playing. It might have been the two the two fifteen game, uh, the fifteen two seed uh, matchup, and um, they were winning this game big, and I must have missed a travel call and. Ted looks at me and he goes, Hey, you really expletive that call, didn't you? You missed that one. And, and they were up by like 50 mm. and he was laughing and snickering. And he just, Ted had that way mm-hmm. of just like trying to have some fun on the court. But uh, we miss people like Ted, coach Goulet, you know, you talk about the basketball community. Yeah, we care. Yeah, we yeah. care too. And I think, you know, you won't do it, but give yourself some credit in terms of like the reason that people want to support that campaign is, is also because you're behind it, right? You're, uh, you know, I think of officials and I think of like the fun moments that we've had at Dolphin Park and over the years. I mean, (laughs) you refereed me from in high school to college, to university, (laughs) to now being a coach. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Great dynamic. It's unreal. And I think you think, you know, it takes a special person to, not only take this on, but also to push it and to keep, to keep striving. And I think if you were someone that people didn't have time for, didn't respect, then they probably wouldn't get behind it. So, you know, I think we give yourself a little bit of credit there for continuing to develop and build relationships outside of the lines that you've talked about, right off the court. I mean, cause at the end, what matters really, right? That missed call or the game that we lost as a coach or a team. Nah, that doesn't matter. It's the relationships that we build over these times and over these years and, and the laughs that we get to have so that we do bump into each other, we can stop and say hi and have a chat and check in on life. You know what I mean? I was so looking forward to being able to talk about referee coach relationships and, and just what we have to go through. You guys have a variable and we have a variable. I see different coaches every single night. You see different referees almost every single night mm-hmm. as do, as do all referees and, co- and coaches. And I think the dynamic of that, if the Pink Whistle campaign has done anything to ease some of those old-fashioned ways, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a very positive thing for, not to go too deep, but humanity. I think I think there's, and I've, I've said this before, there's so much love on and off the court between uh, officials, coaches, players, former players, and people have stories to tell. that they, You know, somebody still comes up to me any given day. I still remember you refereeing my game, and I, I hated you for this call, but, uh, but I've been thinking about it for like eight years, and, and I'm over it. <laughs> and yeah, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure you've got some of those scenarios as a player, as a coach, but we all got to get through because, and, and these days, the best thing that people are saying is, okay, next play, next play, yeah. you know, get through that stuff. Yeah, for sure. And I, I want to touch on quickly, the reason we're releasing this is there's a deadline for people that want to donate. So before we move forward in our conversation, maybe if you could just let people know where and how they can go about that and when that last time is for them to to get a donation in, um, they can do it privately, they can have their name out there, they can you know do it on behalf of someone. Um, just let the people know in case they're wondering and we'll, uh, we'll add that in, in our bio and things like that as well. That'd be tremendous. And I'll, I'll be sure to send you the link 
mm-hmm. um, because it's through uh, BC Cancer Foundation. And of course, um, this being uh, late in the 2021 tax season, uh, this would be very, very fortunate for people to be able to make their tax donations for the upcoming tax season to make sure you get your donations and uh, your deductions. But uh, just a real quick thing on facts. The campaign's been running for 13 years. We have now currently raised $35,000, if not just a little uh, titch above that. This year, it's our record season. Last year was our record season. We'd raised $29,000 at the end of last campaign. And um, we're just thrilled that uh, people continue to believe in what we're doing and, and uh, bring some peace on and off the court. The uh, amazing. If you, if you Google Basketball BC Pink Whistles, you'll see plenty of information there. But uh, we'll definitely give you the link uh, so that you can uh, embed it into the uh, intro and things like that. That'd be you got it. Tremendous. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and then just to let you know, in um, 13 years, we've now raised $150,000 with this uh, with this little campaign of pink whistles <laughs> floating around. Uh, and um, just to let you know also that the BC Cancer Foundation opened up a new wing for the donors, and uh, we made their wall of fame as donors, uh, uh, the BCBOA and uh, the basketball officials of BC. And uh, very, very proud of my 600 fellow officials mm-hmm. uh, who have put this together, but also, of course, uh, all the coaches and the support that we've been getting. So thank you for, to everybody. You bet, man. Awesome. That's absolutely yeah. amazing. I was going to ask what the total was and I'm sure even yourself, you know, you sit back and go, wow, you probably didn't expect this to to go that way. But um, I think it says a lot about our community and it says a lot about what people are willing to do for, for cancer. Cause so many people have been affected by it. When you, uh, when you see referees wearing the pink whistles and the pink lanyards, tell them the great work they're doing off the court, uh, even though you might uh, want to say other things about them on the court. <laughs> and, and, the, and the other thing is, I think I was uh, able to bestow the 10-year donation pin on you when I was refereeing one of the games at St. Thomas More. After 10 years, we had raised $60,000. Three years later, we've added another ninety thousand dollars to that total and it's been tremendous that's awesome yeah. right on let's get into just a little bit more before we let you go yeah check how much time is left on this episode officials here's my fear mr dylan <laughs> young gentlemen like you start to age themselves out of officiating what do we do how do we get people involved what do we do to promote is it do we need to see coaches treating officials differently is there does there need to be more promotion of it like with the pink whistle campaign on behalf of the coaches and the people out there in the community how do we go about recruiting more and more officials to be a part of uh, of the game and get on the other side of it or maybe you've never even been involved with the game but but see something to do with it let's um let's take the pink whistle campaign out of this part of the conversation because i firmly believe, as do many of the people around basketball, that we as a community need to promote one simple fact. No refs, no games. And As we like and, to say on the show, louder for the people in the back. One more time. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I've heard that before. No refs, no games. And, and, and here's the deal. The people that are running private clubs, the coach that recognizes a player that has maybe a short shelf life and probably won't make a college team, and you recognize that that player, male or female, wants to stay in the game. I stayed in the game because at 5'7 and a, and a starting guard, I knew my shelf life was not going to be going to university and playing basketball there. So I stayed in the game, and the referees of my last game, Mike Woods and Bill Denny, and Bill is uh, still alive and well and still guiding some of our ship. Bill Denny said to me, and when I came and thanked them after my last game, I said, I know I haven't been an honor student when it comes to complaining about calls throughout the year, but just wanted to thank you guys. And Bill Denny said to me, hey, been refereeing some junior games with you before your senior games, and um, and you're a pretty good ref. Maybe you should become a, a referee. And I said, how do I get involved? And this has come to the meeting in September. And uh, we'll, we'll be loved. We'd love to have you and, and anybody else like you that would like to stay in the game. And sure enough, I showed up in 1979 and voila, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now I have that same urge to remind people that we have to recruit. We, we've been trying to recruit for years and we mm-hmm. just have to have, we have to have more people caring about the game. And because if, if we stop caring about the game, we're done. We're all done. Absolutely. What is it that you like most about being an official or a couple of things? You know, being a part of the game and, I, and I, I could, I could rattle off the experiences that you get. First of all, on the court, you become, you have the opportunity to, to take situations in a basketball game and relate them to real life and how you how you become better as a person uh, when you deal with things. And as far as honesty, there's, there's no escape <laughs> on the basketball court when you're being asked to be honest about a situation. Because when, when, you, when you make a mistake on the court, and if you can correct it immediately, people go, my goodness. And I'll give you an example of that. I had a situation at the Langley Event Center at the, at the high school boys championships probably about eight years ago. And, and a player went up uh, to take a shot and he came down and he realized he was about to travel. So he dropped the ball and then I blew my whistle. That is a, that should be a no call until he touches the ball. Right. That is referred to as you, you see in a lot of sports these days, an inadvertent whistle. I, I blew my whistle too quick and I, I blew my whistle about three seconds later. And I said, wait a minute. He did not travel. That's an inadvertent whistle on my part. Ball goes back to the same team. And Bob Stebbings flagged me down at the end of the game. He says, Karn, in my lifetime, I have never seen or heard an official take a call back like that. He goes, you're absolutely right. That was not a travel. And it's one of those things where you have, you got to be right. And there's, there's no reason for you to put air into your whistle unless you see what happened. So this has been, it's, 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 very, it's an empowering thing. For me, when you when you're right and you're actually driving home from the game and you say, "Wow, I'm I'm glad I didn't put air into my whistle on that play." Mm, interesting. Never really thought of it that way. Cool. Yeah. No. Co- and coaches would have a different opinion on on what we do and how we do it. Right. So. 
Now I sent you I sent you a little script to some questions here. You ready? Yep. Okay. Now I know I know you had no choice with one you know one of your jobs, but music was a big part of that. Okay. A dead or alive, whatever artist, you get the best seat in the house. What concert are we going to? You know what? Oh, you're stretching for this one, ladies and gentlemen. I, I am. You know what? You can reel off a couple. You can reel off a couple. I, I, I will. Um, you you can't ever see the Archies live, okay? So I want you, so some of our young listeners, I want you to punch up the song Sugar Sugar by the Archies. It's one of the greatest songs of all time. But you, you want to also punch up the four tops. And when I say, baby, I need your loving, like how many A's are in the word, baby, I need your love? You know, there's like eight A's in there. Listen to that song. Levi Stubbs is the lead singer and you got to listen to him. Creedence Clearwater Revival. Oh, here you go. John Fogarty, get it done. Just just <laughs> punch up every CCR song you can and anything by John Fogarty. And um, then, then there's this one song. It's called Bring It On Home to Me. Sam Cooke does it, but even better, Eric Burton. Some of our coaches might go, wow, this guy knows music. Love it. I wouldn't say that your musical choices aged you, but uh, it was definitely when you said punch it up or punch it in. That's definitely, (laughs) people will be able to figure it out. Amazing. Love it. Got to love some CCR. Drop Um, the needle on that one, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it crazy how record players are back? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have one? No. No. It'd be good to see if I could actually sit through a whole album. Now I feel like you get spoiled with just being able to click next song, right? Yep. Um, who've been some of the most important people in your life? Absolutely. My bride, uh, my bride of 31 years, Chris, because she's tolerated my love for music, my life in radio, and of course the balance uh, of what basketball uh, has given me in real life. It is just a without without her support and of course my parents uh, who actually said when I was a 12 year old well, you're going to be a doctor aren't you and I go yeah I guess so and they had no idea of what I was what my personal hard drive was collecting was old songs in my head and I just I couldn't get that stuff out of there like I say go to the year 1969 there's so many like the top 30 hits of 1969 are probably 30 of my favorite songs of all time. Mm. You make such a good point. I mean, anyone that's involved in, in officiating or sport in general, that partner who just, they don't necessarily have to understand just how much it means to us, but to understand that it's important and to allow us that it's huge. Right. And, and it's a, and it's a huge part. And, and I think people don't think of that in terms of if I got to drive to Langley for a game, there's an official that's getting in their car and making the same effort to get the same game, right? So, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. How do you feel about ketchup on macaroni? Ketchup on macaroni is an absolute uh, no go, but mustard, a little dollop of mustard is not a bad thing. Okay. How do you feel about uh, ketchup on hot dogs? Just we'll take it to the Paul Eberhardt level because that absolutely disgusts Ebs. Like he, it, it's like, it's sacred. Like he's like, that's the most, 
yeah, he feels like you couldn't do anything worse if you put ketchup on hot dog. Well, then he's going to love me. I'm, and um, because I, I, I do like ketchup on hot dogs. I also like Heinz 57 sauce. Oh, on see, there's a little, there's a little nugget. Wow. Heinz okay. 57 steak sauce. Put that on there and make it make a difference. Wow. This well, remix. Okay. I like it. Think about all the games that you've been a part of over so many years. Is there one or two that stick out for whatever reason? Doesn't have to do with you making a call or whatever. Just sort of like whatever reason it is. Is there some a couple games that stick out to you? You're like, man, I'd love to go back to those moments and relive those. I do. Relive. If you say pigs, pigs fly. This this episode will be over so fast. For the record, yeah, click <laughs> click delete. Um, I, I will say that at the end, but I, I but I will tell you. Um, and I and I don't know how much time you have on oh, this. But I'm gonna, go for I'm gonna, it. I'm going to rattle off so many great games and with so many great meanings. Please do, please um, do. So memorable games in no particular order. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think people who are in our community will might appreciate a couple of these there was a game played at the point gray tournament yes the point gray tournament and it was the final between charles tupper and rc palmer and the connection there is that the two eberhardt brothers were on separate benches Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've heard the story or not but Coach Doug Eberhardt was the assistant coach at Tupper, and um, he he kind of got loud, and and all of a sudden, my partner gave him a technical foul, and I went over to the head coach and I said, "Hey, coach, can you take care of that? Because you know you, you don't want to have like back to back tees by the same ref if you don't have to." And mm-hmm. uh, coach goes, "I got this, I got this," and I I said, "Good." And Doug Dougie says, "I'll take another." <laughs> literally i'll take another and i looked at him and i said okay he doesn't realize that if i get him two he's got to go so i i toss him out of the gym and uh coach jeff Gurley is like rolling his eyes like because he's trying to defend him and all of a sudden like dougie does this paul on the other side starts thinking this is unfair to my brother so even though paul's up like 10 15 points or something like that and uh He's going to the line for, at that time, two and two more or whatever it was. It's going to be five in possession or something yeah. like that. And uh, Paul starts to protest. And I said, you say another word, you're going to join him. <laughs> 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 and I say this to say this. The, the beautiful thing about that game was about three weeks later, my sister had passed away. Mm-hmm. And I saw Doug Eberhardt. Uh, in the game right before mine at John Oliver the city championships or something like that and I said to my partner oh I had a situation with coach Eberhardt a couple of weeks ago it looks like he's coming over here let's watch out here he might want to take a bite and Dougie does the classiest thing on the planet he comes up to me and he says just wanted to say sorry for the loss of your sister and that in itself should remind Everybody in the basketball community of what this is all about. Yeah, it's this tough love on the court when you, you don't do the right thing. But but we all have real sensitive people and really good people. Like I said, there's love on and off the court. How are you Next gonna one. Top, how are you going to top that one? That's well, the one. That's the one you lead with. Just a couple. Okay. Just a couple. All right. Um, I like it. The, one of the greatest high school finals, according to some people, it was the Vancouver College St. George's game. 
Right. And um, I got to tell you, every time I see Emerson Murray at uh, Kits Fest, he always comes over and flashes his smile. And they, could, because he knows that I was witness to that game, he just he wants to come and give me a hug, and that's okay. And that was John Tags against Brian Lee. Um, mm-hmm. It was just, it was just an epic game. The most important part about that game that a lot of people don't know about was the pregame meal. Myself, Fred Gunn, Todd Perdonic. Uh, we're selected to work that game. Shout out, Freddie. Yeah, yeah. Love that guy. Yeah, like I said, there's a lot of good people that are donning stripes. The pregame meal, we'd said, hey, why don't we go to Nick's Spaghetti House? Because, you know, we're all dressed in suits and ties and stuff like that. We walk into the place with our reservation, and half the place is purple and gold. Half the place (laughs) is red and white. And we walk (laughs) in there, and... Obviously, people recognize us and they go, hey, you guys aren't refing the, the final tonight, are you? And we said, yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> the wallets, the wallets come out. <laughs> <laughs> what are you guys having? What would you like? <laughs> Sorry, guys, can't do that. Um, and then and I don't think that story's ever been told, but that that was uh, an absolute gem. And another game, Kitsilano White Rock Christian times two. One of the first finals I ever worked was the White Rock Christian game when Kyle Wilson was playing for White Rock, and uh, I think they were 35-0. and 0. And I think Kitsilano were 36-1 and 1 with Chris Porteous and um, Levon Kendall in grade 11. And that game was magic as well. The year after, I ended up working the same two teams in the semifinal game. And um, like I say, Coach Scott Allen and... Uh, Randy Coots and Simon Dykstra. It was always a, a treat to work those guys. Nice. Speaking of Dolphin Park. Yes, sir. There was a game that was played there that was a Canadian team versus an American team in the final. And I, I'm pretty sure you were in the beer garden by then. Absolutely. And I don't know if you remember it or not, but I think towards the end of the game, the five seconds to go, and I think there was like a six-point lead. The fans started singing Old Canada loud and proud. I would not be the one to tell you who led the charge on that anthem, but... I could probably (laughs) suggest who it was. Am I allowed to make names or am I allowed to... Hey, it's your show, brother. Oh, okay. So I'm really close to the beer garden at this point. There's five seconds to go. It's a six-point game, and the Canadian team has the ball, and we know they're just going to play it out. So I reach over and somebody hands me a beer and I said, okay, I'll have to take a sip. We never drink before a basketball game. Of course. Certainly never during, but with five <laughs> seconds to go, I just thought, okay, somebody, you know, somebody close to me says, hey, take a sip. And I, and I did. So I, I broke a rule, but it was uh, in the heat of the moment. I, I, I kind of lost it sort of thing. But That was a uh, fun one. There were some years there where those American teams, they were bringing up and they, they kind of like, kicked our butts for a few years and then guys were putting teams together and those battles were unreal i mean to the point where you got jamal crawford out right like that was some good times at good old dolphin park i'm gonna i'm gonna go over just a couple more games real quickly please do because the fact that you've given me an opportunity to share this I'll, i'll be able to share this at the end of the conversation as to how important this is so then there's the argyle handsworth games ah that I had the privilege of being assigned to in the day of uh, Glenn and Chu against uh, a Randy Story and that whole legacy. 
having listened to Tyler last week, just uh, remind me of like I I got to work probably three or four of those games, and and especially the Quinn Keast celebration game after Quinn had passed away, and they tried to raise some money for the foundation. And um, I want to tip my hat to the Keast family, Jan, Tom, Jamie, uh, for saying, "Hey, Karn, we would like you to work that game with with a couple officials." And um, would would he play? And you know what? When when somebody sticks out their hand and wow. says, "Just can you do that?" And yeah, done. That's do awesome. It. That says yeah. a lot. Yeah, and That's like cool. I said, another episode we can talk about that whole thing but um thank you to the north shore teams uh, argyle hansworth for letting me be a part of their legacies my very first three-person game was and you might remember this because i think you might have been part of this but it was langara against the fraser valley cascades okay and this was at the langara gym the boston garden <laughs> of gymnasium step into inbound yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> The restraining line, one of the last <laughs> restraining lines in, in North America. Uh, so it's Kevin Hansen coaching against um, Pat Lee. Yep. And it's my first three-person game. I'm working with Mike Westman and um, another official. And and I got to tell you, eight seconds into the game, Kevin screams out, Corn, blow your whistle! <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I remember about that game. And and those two teams were number one and number two in the country. Mm-hmm. How do you like that? There you go, though. Karn, by the way, there's your assignment tonight. Yeah, yeah. And you and it's with two other guys, not just one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So real quickly, and I think Tyler Kepke mentioned this game about the USA and Canada at UNLV. Mm. I was at that game and one of my best friends uh, in the associate in the refereeing circuit, uh, Steve Seibel, was refereeing that game as a FIBA official. Steve had asked me to come down, and he says it'd be great if you could come down. And one of the things that a lot of people don't know is we support our fellow referees, and we'll do anything to help them get better. And I actually had a digital video camera uh, with me at the time, and took pictures uh, or took video of him, not the game. But the, of him, his facial reactions, his uh, body language, his calls, and 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 I gave it to him because he was going to China to referee the Olympics, and I presented that to him about a month later, and I said, "Hey, got something for you," and there's like 64 minutes of of video, so he can visualize and get better and be ready for the moment, and it's a gift that us referees like to try to help one another with mm-hmm. to help him get better. And later on that night, and speaking of Tyler, we were all back. Howard Kelsey uh, and Team Canada went back on the bus back to the Palms Hotel, and we were sitting in the lounge, and we saw the team walk back in. And I saw Tyler, and he recognized me as a high school referee of his and and gave him a quick wave. And and it was really, really cool to to be able to do that. But um, that night... Seibel had called, had had watched, done that game, and and it was one of those things where the best play of the game was Kobe Bryant stealing the ball and doing this massive dunk, and it was on every TV screen. And Seibel was carnage. It's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, last three here. I worked the Navi Seacon sixty-four point game at Delta Secondary School. I think Nikki Day was on that team. Oh yeah. Yep. And I got to tell you, Aaron, when you're doing a game and, and a kid hits dunks, 
he hits three-point shots. He does layups. I, I came home that night. I said, I said to my wife, I said, hey, I said, you know, I said, there's a kid that played at Delta. He must have scored 41, 42 points. He had an awesome game. The next day I read in the paper, this guy went off for 64 or 66 points. Mm-hmm. He could and fill I, it. He could yeah. fill it. Oh, my goodness. And, oh, talk about dunks. I'll, I'll tell you about dunks in a second, like dunking the ball. But going back to games, in 1990, I think it was, it was the uh, centennial against Lord Bang in uh, the consolation final of the 3-4 game or whatever it was. It was uh, Richie Chambers against, uh, I can't remember who the coach was, but it was uh, Jason Leslie was one of the players. Okay. And um, play situation happened where Richie was down by like 20 or something like that. And Lord Bang was just like, like just ripping them. And Richie calls a timeout and my partner on the other side of the floor is just getting just crapped on. Richie's just like screaming at him and I'm going, come on, partner, come on, partner, come on, partner. Dude. Tee him up, tee him up, tee him up. Nothing happened. So I lose my focus. We come back. I hand the ball to the wrong team. No. <laughs> I hand the ball to the wrong team. I give the ball to Lord Bing. And and this is this is great because mistakes happen and how you deal with them is what you do. Of. So I hand the ball to the wrong team. I give the ball to Lord Bing and Bing goes, <laughs> Bing goes one pass, two pass. Jason Leslie does a layup. And now instead of being down 24, now they're down 26. And Richie's like, like if he was mad before the timeout, <laughs> he was like screaming. And then I realized, oh my goodness, we gave the ball to the wrong team. I called my partner over, tried to correct it in the best way we could. Is it rock, and, paper, scissors to see who talks to Richie or what? No, I, we, we actually did the wrong thing. We, it, we did the illegal thing by doing a do-over. Mm. We put time back on the clock, and you're not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. We gave the ball to the right team mm-hmm. and saying, hey, this is the way it's going to be. But I got to tell you, that's one of those things that I never have given the ball to the wrong team ever since because now I have a mechanism that I created that puts the ball in the right place. Mm-hmm. The last game I want to talk about is Simon Fraser versus UBC Women. Mm. Circa anywhere between 2002 and 2010, when those two teams were the greatest teams in Canada. Between 2002 and 2010, there was only Canada West teams that won the national championships. I think it was Victoria won it first. And then it was Simon Fraser, UBC, Simon Fraser, UBC, Simon Fraser, Simon Fraser, UBC. And it just never stopped. But I got to work a regular league, uh, regular season game. And it was Deb Huband against Bruce Langford. And we called 21 fouls in the entire game. No way. 21 fouls in the entire game. And my supervisor at the time, uh, Bill Crowley, Bill Crowley says to me, Karn, and this is in the post game, he says, do you realize you only called like five fouls in the entire game? And you had, you didn't have a single whistle except for an out-of-bounds call from halfway through the second quarter till the start of the fourth quarter. I said to him. They're that good. <laughs> I said, I said, yeah, I do. He goes, if you had had another whistle, I would have been disappointed at you because <laughs> you had nothing to call. Yeah, just and, unreal basketball, hey? And, and, and you know what that was? That was supervisor saying to official, as often as we get this, we did a good job. Yeah. I will I will finish with the best dunks on the planet that I've seen. Okay. 
Here we go. Yeah. Connor Morgan at UBC. You need to ask uh, Kevin Hansen about that one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just thunder. Crazy dunk. At Kits Fest uh, three years ago, four years ago, Tyus, who's the head, uh, one of the coaches at uh, Burnaby South, Tyus came flying through and hammered down a dunk, and he was like 180 degrees vertical. Sorry, vertical, horizontal, sideways. Yeah. If he if if he didn't grab the hoop, he would have been dead. Yeah, yeah. I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to the Trinity Western people about Mason's dunk this year against Calgary in first preseason game. Nice. Ma- Mason hammered one. And ready for this guy? Rupi mm. Clare when he played at UNBC. Here we go. Yeah, played with reckless abandon. And and he was the original look of James Harden. I think James Harden saw what this guy looked like. And it says, I got to look like that guy. <laughs> but anyways, ask him about that one. And then, and of course, the best dunks of all time was um, the pigs can fly, pigs do fly dunk. And should we save that to the end of the conversation here and, and wrap it up with that or what? It's your world, man. Whenever, whenever you feel it's appropriate. Okay. okay. Uh, I, I will save that one for the end. Okay. The audio cuts out here, but Mitch asks Karn, who has been the toughest players you've had to ref? Randy Knorr did so many things so well, and he could disguise stuff and confuse me. And, and I never thought that could happen. And one of the games that I refereed at Dolphin Park, Randy made a move, and he was trapped in the backcourt. And I ended up calling a foul on one of the defenders, and the defender went nuts. <laughs> the defender went nuts and said, I didn't touch him, I didn't touch him. And I said, your, your arms are tangled. It took me nine years to get together with Randy and say, I got a question for you. Do you remember that play? He goes, yeah. I said, it's been bugging me for that long. I said, what happened on that play? He goes, Karn, I actually got my left arm in to his arms, did a little spaghetti move, and then jumped with my right hand on the ball. He goes, the foul should have been on me. But it took me nine years to get rest on, on a play that that almost decided the game but it was just one of those things yeah we do lose sleep over calls from time to time awesome that was like a mini history book right there do you read much are you more of a movie guy um i i do so i read rule books i read rule interpretations because every time i show up at the langley event center yeah and and neil brown is sitting there he politely asks me two to three questions and and i have to be his interpretation guide is a, yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as movies, Hey listeners, pulp fiction and the good, the bad, and the ugly, the, wow. the real hero on the good, the bad, and the ugly is Tuco. You need to re-study the character of the ugly because he's just a huge underdog and he's a beautiful human being. Amazing. Yeah. Bring out the gimp as well. Bring out the gimp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to say that to you on the <laughs> sideline one day. Um, greatest bag of chips when you're feeling munchy. Super Bowl Sunday. What are you grabbing? What's the go-to bag of chips? Okay. You know what? Hmm. I'm going to mix the chips. It's Hawkins Cheesies huh. because of my bride's father, Jack Ives in Quinnell. Jack Ives passed away 10, 12 years ago. But that guy would only eat 
Hawkins cheesies. I'm not talking these crispy cheese uh, snacks or no, yeah. fake things. I'm talking about the Canadian brand of the Hawkins cheesies. All over that. Let's see. Off the top of my head, Kyle Russell, Hawkins cheesies. Really? Sean Shook, Hawkins cheesies. John Mills. John Mills, Hawkins cheesies. So there you go. You are not alone, my friend. Oh, that's good company. And you can and you can throw those in a chip category if you want. It's your episode, so who cares? I went and watched Tupper play Burn at War Memorial earlier this year. It was like a two o'clock game that Gurley had organized, and I brought Kev a Diet Pepsi and Shooky a big bag of cheesies, and nice. both of them lit up like Christmas trees. So, <laughs> um, what are some? Uh, players over the years that stand out to you where you went wow that's a special player and this is a tough one no one ever people don't like to leave people out right but are there some some people that you officiated that it was like like a navi seacon sort of man he was so good i was 20 points short of what he actually had for the night navi was amazing um Mm -hmm. i i forgot to talk about the dunk when i say the dunk Mm -hmm. That is what I asked Navi to sign my Dolphin Park jersey. Uh, you know, referee jerseys from Dolphin Park are always pretty special. Mm-hmm. And I've got signatures. I think I think you signed my Dolphin Park jersey. Probably. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? I think I think you said on that jersey, pigs do fly. <laughs> I, I think that's what you signed on there. But anyways, Navi Saquon, and you know how the wind is blowing at Dolphin. Yeah. Somebody did an alley-oop for him, and I'm I'm in the trail position, so I get the, the best view of this thing. And I go, okay, that's going to go over the backboard, that that float pass. That That is going to, like, that's such a bad pass. And Navi elevates himself, and I don't know if he grabs it with his fingernails, <laughs> but he gets up, and his entire armpit is pretty much above the level of the ring. And he hammers that thing. And you know the the, the old boards at uh, Dolphin Park, how much they vibrate? Of course. The steel poles is going to go shattering. And the place went nuts. And I just saw that. And then, uh, eventually, like I said, when I got that uh, that lime green shirt that, that I've got that with signatures, I said to Navi, I said, can you please sign your name on here and yeah. say the dunk? And, and Navi will remember that. He was yeah, smart too. Really. He would he would only go. He would probably was going on the uh, short hoop. That's why that's why he <laughs> called for the lob. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you like to see on a hoops journey? Um, I'm going to give you two really easy ones, and I'm going to make sure that they are in touch with you at any time that you want to touch base with them. Okay. They are referees, and they have stories of games, play situations that you and and people on a hoops journey need to hear about. And they're very special people. Steve Mawinney. Yes. Steve Mawinney, who is a Burnaby resident and is also in the Burnaby Sports Hall of Fame. And then there's the curator of our referees museum who has every fact in in every game and just knows everything about everybody. It's Todd Pradonic. You need to get both of those on games, talking about stories, talking about their lives, of what they did outside of basketball, and and why they they give a damn so much about the game. Mm-hmm. And I'll be easily able to put them in touch with you. Awesome, yeah, awesome. Okay, buddy. Well, we're not done yet, and this has been really good. And 
before you tell your last sort of, as I'm using quotation marks, story that's been blown out of proportion over the years here. We'll see. You're still in it. You still got that big smile on your face. You, when you walk into the gym, you look like you're happy to be there. There's an energy about you that screams that you're still enjoying what you're doing, running up and down the court, making calls, you know, connecting with people. But up to this point, if you could do it all again, you would what? I think I'd like to go back to that St. George's Vancouver College game. Yeah. And and relive it because every, every time... I, the best part about that game is is when the referees walked off the court, we looked at each other, we were in the changing room, and, and when we're in our changing room, what ends up happening is we get about 30 seconds worth of quiet time, mm-hmm. and then the supervisors walk in. Aaron, we we looked at each other and we said, I don't think we did anything wrong. I think I think we stayed out of the game. I think the players played, the referees ref, and mm-hmm. we were so satisfied. And then supervisor walks in and says, fellas, a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And and I got to tell you, when somebody comes in, it's like, it's like a coach talking to the players at the end of the game. Fellas, a masterpiece. I don't think I've ever heard that, but now as an assigner and as an evaluator, I actually challenge my officials to say, I want to be able to walk into the changing room one day and say to you, wow, what a masterpiece. You guys did a great job. Mm-hmm. And, th- mm-hmm. th- and sometimes that's all you need to say. Right. Well said. This has been fun, buddy. Any last reflections before we uh, get you on your way here? Yeah, I got three more stories. <laughs> <clears throat> the people didn't know what they were in for. <laughs> yeah, and, and I hope I, I hope they're still listening. Um, myself and I know John Bob Elliott's still listening, aren't you, Bobby? Yeah, Bobby should be. Yeah, um, and, and Bobby's a good man. Great to have him on the Canada West panel, on the on the Pac West panel, and the high schools. You got it. Also, before um, you keep going, I sent a picture of you. And on this group chat, all three guys send their love. Dom Zimmerman, Gerald Cole, Andrew Mavis. They all say oh, hi and they love you and goodness. cheers. My goodness. I, I ran into Dom's brother in uh, Whitehorse. Um, no way. In uh, 2019, I think it was, we were myself and John McFarland and uh, Alex Grunberg went up there for a quick little session to help them out. And gentleman comes out of the stands and he goes, do you referee in Vancouver? I said, yes, I do. He goes, I think, I think I recognize you. And he goes, you might know my brother, Dominic. I said, Zimmerman? He goes, yeah. And the love of, like I say, there's love on and off court. I said, please take my picture, send it to Dom and tell him that uh, Karn's up here right now. And, and we just met and it's great. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, and it's funny uh, actually. Dom's picking him up from the airport tomorrow. He's coming down for a visit. How do you like that? Huh? <laughs> Isn't the world funny? Yeah, it's a small world, and it's and it's our job and responsibility to make it smaller. Maeve says and, sorry for yelling at you all those years. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Mavis loved him, and he doesn't remember this uh, scenario. But back in the old Richmond Steveston days, when teams were like playing against each other in that in that jurisdiction. I think it was a McNair Steveston game and the Richmond boys had walked in and I could see Andrew Mavis as a, a grade 11 kid, maybe wearing gum boots or something like that and, and sitting on the sidelines. And Andrew was such a good player. Oh, and, and it was just like, I, I reminded him of that on uh, the night that he got uh, uh, inducted into the hall of fame. And I said to him, I said, man, I, I remember you as a kid that way. And, and he goes, I don't remember that, but he goes, thanks for remembering and, 
being part of this. And, cool. um, and, and who was the third one that was on that list? Gerald Cole. Oh, Gerald. I refereed what was the best game of the tournament in that year. And that was the Vancouver College Semi. Belmont. Oh, Belmont. Vancouver College Belmont 3-4 game. Oh. Gerald was, that, was that Jerry's grade 12 year? Yeah. Gerald yeah. put the... Gerald put the game into overtime with a two or a three, and then he put it into double overtime with a two or a three. Because one was a two, one was a three. And, um, and of course, you know, we could go on and on, but Gerald's good friend, uh, Johnny Dumont. And, uh, and and my nephew, Sim. Uh, yes. Who is part of that, Tim? Yeah, shout yeah. out Sim. And and Sim and has been doing a great job on promoting family stuff with this uh, pink whistle stuff. I think mean, it was that besides the point. So so cool. real quickly, real quickly. Hey guys, love you guys. And um, here's three more stories. Yeah, these are bloopers that take place, and <laughs> and and you have to talk about them. And I'm gonna sit back in my chair here. <laughs> so. McFarland, Johnny McFarland, myself, and another official who shall remain nameless, uh, were working at UBC, and it was one of those um, one of those situations where I'm on the baseline. Johnny's right in front of uh, Coach Hansen, and uh, other officials at the in the trail position, and the ball goes outside the three point line on a dribble, and all of a sudden there's a whistle at around the volleyball line, and the signal by the official is over and back and I'm looking at him and I'm looking at John and I just like, I put my hands down and go, Oh, this will be good. And official finally realizes that <laughs> he's called an over and back at the volleyball line, not at the center line, which is like still 10 feet away. And the look on Kevin's face was priceless. I said, I said, Johnny said, Johnny, <laughs> this will be good. <laughs> So we're allowed to laugh at stuff like that, right? Of course. Absolutely. Second play situation was at the Agrodome. And this was in the uh, R.C. Palmer White Rock semifinal game. Mm. And uh, this is now in overtime. And Coach Eberhardt called timeout. And somehow they run this play. And unfortunately, Aaron Hare and Matt Madawan do like a, like a loop. Mm. on this on the inbounds pass and they collide heads and and Aaron goes down Aaron probably uh, is bleeding I remember this yeah so he goes off and fast forward six years later I break up a timeout and it's probably it's probably like I say six years later and Coach Eberhardt is like leading by like 15 or something like that in this situation and I, I break up the timeout and said hey Player calling, it's not going to be that that two players like loop around and bang heads and <laughs> and, and he goes he goes we took that out of the playbook. <laughs> <laughs> he would say it that aggressively too. That's good imitation. Yeah. As well. yeah. <laughs> yeah, imitation is a sincere form of flattery, right? <laughs> and um, la- item last on the uh, on the bloopers earlier this year, uh, I was up in Kelowna and we were uh, refereeing the UBC UBC Okanagan game. Partner stops the clock with 3.5 seconds remaining after a good hoop and there 3.5 seconds remaining in a quarter right unfortunately he stops the clock at the end of the third quarter which clock's not supposed to stop until the fourth quarter and he had actually given us that two minute signal that there's two minutes left and i was looking at him going why is he doing that and 
and sure enough, he actually thought he were in the fourth quarter. So he stops the clock, and UBC Okanagan gets the ball back on the baseline with three and a half seconds to go. Boy, and I think Coach Hansen might have whispered, "They better not yeah. Yeah. blank yeah. score on this play." <laughs> <laughs> sure enough, pass out to the uh, three point line. Second pass into the center court. <laughs> it does one dribble, and it's nothing but net. No. <laughs> now UBC ended up winning the game by lots, but the look on Coach Hansen's face, like I say, when you talk about bloopers and you're talking about having fun in the game. So, <laughs> just to make a long story even longer, <laughs> last week I was at Douglas and I had the same partner, and with two forty-six remaining in the third quarter. I went to my other partner and said, "Hey, listen. When it gets down to the two-minute mark of the third quarter, flash your two two-minute signal to our partner over there and see what he does." <laughs> Meaning, you're not supposed to stop the clock. But he looked at us and he goes, "Oh, you guys are like, you guys are trying to screw me." Yeah, that's and what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, if you can have some classy fun like that on the basketball court, but that's but that is not refereeing 101. That's like refereeing 901. Of course. Okay? Like that's version 9 mm-hmm. of of this craft that that we have to do really really well. Mm-hmm. And and we were expected to do it well, expected to do it professionally, but we're going to have a little bit of fun like I just explained. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes the edge off and and believe me, like I say when when I ask coach Eberhart, you know, you guys are going to run that play that did two heads collide and blah blah blah. He has an incredible sense of humor at the, at the best of times, and, and as do a lot of coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we can keep that spirit in the game, I think it'll be good for all of us. You know? Oh, so item last, last, last. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So I talked about some of the greatest games, the greatest games that you get assigned to. And I actually assigned the Dolphin Park Tournament way back when, like 20, 25 years ago. Oh yeah, because because Bira, TJ, Bruce, and Tony shout out those guys, man. Oh Absolute man, beauties. all time, all time. Um, they'd always said, "Hey, we we trust you to go ahead and put the right people in the right games." And and back then we didn't have that a lot of people that would come out and do those games. So I ended up saying, "I don't want somebody coming out and doing the Sunday morning game. It's one of those games that why do you end up working Sunday morning? Because it's one of those games that's like significant." to only like one team you know what's happened the night before yeah people have like sipped and sipped and sipped until the sun comes up yeah and that particular day shout out legends pub yes the beautiful mr mike westman and i are assigned to the 9 a.m sunday game and we don't know the ramifications. Nobody's told us that it's, uh, oh, by the way, suddenly it's an important game. Oh, why is it important? Because one team, if they outscore the other team by 78 points, they might qualify to make the playoffs, but they have to really kick these guys. And so that team was your team, Aaron. And it was 9 o'clock in the morning, and two things happened before the tip-off. I think John Roberts walked in with a, what was like a horse blanket and, and he's shivering. And and I shouldn't say what was said to his comment, or am I allowed to? You can edit this out. Yeah, don't say it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it was with John Roberts' class act and the funny one of the funniest lines of all time. Anyways, uh, I'll tell you off air. And then two people start walking towards the beer garden at 8.57. And it's Jake McCallum and Nick Day. And, and Rob, 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 Rob. Yep, Robbie Rob, Rob Gow. <laughs> yep, three people. And, and I actually make a comment. I go, hey, guys, beer garden's not open. And Nicky, Nicky goes underneath his jacket. And he goes, it is now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess the table is set and these three guys are rooting for you. And you guys need to beat these guys by what? 78 points or whatever it is. And I remember one of the opposition, because Andy Dunn was on the opposition of that game. Another great Richmond Colt. Anyway, so Andy Dunn is on the, on the floor and they, they get pummeled. I think they only have six people on the floor. Yeah. Total. Like, You're like, lucky if you get five on the Sunday morning. Yeah. 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 So, anyways, um, Westman and I are working this game, and you guys are stealing everything. You guys are full court pressing, and I think you guys are up by 40 at halftime, but that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. So, you steal a ball in the second half, and Jake McCallum jumps up and he goes, Dunk it! Dunk it! And you go up there, and you look like you were going to dunk it, and you didn't. You, you finger rolled it, and, and you got booed. By the three people that were there. Yes. <laughs> but it was a resounding boo. It, it was louder than the refs got booed in that game. How's that? <laughs> so so you got booed, and the very next play, you were pressing again, and you stole the ball again. And they screamed out, dunk it, dunk it. And you got up, and you, you hammered it down. And that's when the magic line of all time, all time, Aaron Mitchell came out. May I recite it now? Please do. I'm waiting with beta breath. And I'm trying to get it the right octave because <laughs> when Jake said it, he said it with, he sounded like his dad, Dunk. Yep. Pigs do fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And, and Westman and I, Kind of paused, paused, looked at each other, and and him and I have had so many great games of comments and things like that, and and that's why you need to talk to referees. You need to talk to them about our point of view, uh, how how we see things, and sometimes we get a different angle for sure than than what you've seen, and whether that's a, a play on the floor, or um, if I can be uh, reflective here, just some things in life. And, and I'll just close by saying, I can't thank the people in the basketball community enough for glomming on to what belongs to all of us. Mm-hmm. And that's the fight against cancer. And there's a lot of pink whistles for a lot of coaches who continue to buy the whistles and say, I just want to support the program. And, and I thank them for the spirit with which they bring that. And I, I also thank you, Aaron, for inviting me and uh, and my spirit to to share the story of of me and my Pink Whistle team because um, we think we think we're doing the right thing here. And um, come playoffs, it's back to business, right? So you got it, man. It's very well said. Wait, great way to summarize. And let me be the first to say thanks to you for your years of service back to the game and doing probably the most thankless job out there. 
other than maybe some scorekeepers, you know, you and the officials, I put you two in the highest regard in terms of what you do. And for all the people that I've got to know that wear the stripes over the years and what the game has given me back um, and the connections I've been able to make um, with many of you. So thank you for your years of service and, and everything that you've given to the game, my friend. I don't know if you'll be able to put this in as well, but I, I do want to notarize one particular scorekeeper. Sure. And this was at Steveston, London last week. I have my little water bottle that has the referee's striped shirt as a, as a koozie. Yeah. And on that koozie, I have a pink whistle. And, and the score table went nuts. They said, that is one of the cutest things I've ever seen in my life. And, and she says to me, I'm a volleyball referee. Maybe we should use pink whistles as well. And I will go back to Steveston, London next week. I'll ask Coach uh, Mike Stoneberg, who is the, what is the name of that person? And I will bestow a pink whistle and a lanyard on her just so that she can follow that uh, suggestion and take it to the next level. Is that not what it's all about? It is. It Nailed is. It's, it. it's about sharing. It's about, it's about um, taking what I know, sharing it with a coach, like on a sideline, if I have something that, Hey, can you please take care of this? And, and sometimes more often than not, a coach will say, thank you very much for letting me know that my player was doing that. Most times the coach will say that. And, and sometimes you guys have suggestions that say, I don't think you guys got that right. And I'll say, you know what? We will, we'll talk about that play. It's all fair, right? You it's it, it's supposed to be, we just want to get it right. And good, bad, and are different. The respect is always mutual. And uh, you're a good man. You, the people who do what you do are great people. And we appreciate you probably more than we should. We probably don't express it enough, but thank you on behalf of all the coaches and players in our province and country to the officials out there. Um, it's been an honor to get to know you over the years and connect with you. And I'm, and I'm proud to consider you a friend and, uh, I'll still tell you if you make a bad call, you should <laughs> <laughs> all the mess, man, stay healthy. We got the playoff push coming up here. Everybody's going to bump, be bumping into each other and uh, health and happiness to you. My good friend, Karn Dillon. Thanks for being with us. See you soon. You got it. A great episode. Shout out to Parkside Brewery and Good Lad Clothing. See you on the next episode. <laughs>